Good morning, church. James chapter 2. We're in our series, Faith Works. James wants to instill something deeply into our hearts, into our lives about faith, about faith. And it's this, you can't afford cheap faith. You can't afford cheap faith. Do you believe that, that not all faith is equal? Because people put their faith, they put their trust in a lot of things. And do you believe that there's different degrees and different qualities of, of faith? Do we believe that not all faith is, is equal? I, I know for some of us, we, we can afford to get by with a, maybe a, a cheap car. We can get by for a while with uh, maybe, maybe a, a cheap phone, uh, maybe a cheap laptop. Uh, I don't know about you, but going through, going through seasons where it's like, this is all I got and we're going to have to make do. Well, guess what? James comes to bring this to the table. Right? He wants to have this conversation he said there's too much at stake. There are different types, different brands of faith that are out there. Not all of them are genuine. Not all faith is equal. Not all of it is real. James is warning the church. James is really concerned. He's concerned that with so many counterfeits, with so many rip-off brands of faith, he wants to make sure not cheap faith, but full, robust faith. Faith that can, can empower for you to go through anything, to endure any problems, any trials. That's why we started off with, with James saying, count it all joy. You can count it all joy when you go through trials of various kinds because it's producing something in you. Real faith is producing something in you. It's changing you. Would you go ahead and, and jot this down? Number one, dead faith. Dead faith. As we look at James laying out three faith brands, here's the first one. Dead faith. Is my faith lip service? Is my faith lip service? Verses 14 through 17. Let's kick off here. If you've got your nose in Scripture, James 2, I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. What good is it, my brothers, my sisters? What good is it if somebody says they have faith, but they don't have any works? Can that faith save him. Could I insert an emphasis on James is saying, can that type of faith save him? Because not all faith is equal. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, be praying for you, hope it works out. I'm sure somebody out there has what you, what you need without giving them the things needed for the body. He asks the question again, what good is that? What good is that? Let's, let's ask that together. What good is that? One more time, come on. What good is that? He, he asks it twice, picking up on some repetition. What good is it? His answer is what? It's, it's worthless. It's not good for anything. Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is, is on life support. Is that what your, your version says? Faith, if it does not have works, is not the best, but it's okay. Is that what your translation says? If you were to dive into the Greek and look up the, the word dead, you know all of the, the amazing insights that you'll find? Dead means... Help me out. Help me out. It, it, dead. It, it means dead. It means dead every time. Like it's just There's no way around it that in any language, this word, is, it's not partially alive it's not struggling to stay alive it's like it's non-existent there's no life there at at all 
faith, the real thing. It, it saves us. It's a saving faith. But could we start here? What does it save us from? Saved from what? Saved from, from what? Some, some testimonies that I hear are, you know, that, that I was uh, on drugs, had an overdose, and, and I know Jesus saved me. Being saved physically is not the same as being saved spiritually. Not everybody that even has a spiritual experience means they had a saving experience. Everybody tracking? Just because we had a lot of emotions or just because we were at the end of our even lives, that was it God that spares? Yes. Does that mean we are now his? Not necessarily. We're talking about saving faith. When he's talking about faith, he's talking about saving faith. Saving faith. Saved from what? I just wrote down, saved from Satan and his rule and his power over my life. Saved from what? Saved from sin and the power of sin that has ruled me since the very beginning. We believe in original sin passed down from Adam. We believe that we choose, called volitional sin of my own volition, I choose to sin So I'm doubly sinful coming out of the womb. I am sinful and I choose to sin. And guess what? Saved. Saved from from that. Saved from Satan's power and manipulation. Saved from sin's rule over my life. Saved from death. Forever death. Christians don't die. They take their last breath and they're in the presence of, of the Lord. Saved from death. Saved from hell. A literal actual torment in a hell that is separation from God for all eternity saved saved from what saved from the wrath of God he is judge and I deserve punishment all I do my whole life is I choose to rebel and I break his laws and I'm going to stand before him in the end and I'm going to stand guilty saved from the wrath of God if you're saved you, you better be singing. You better be shouting for joy. You better be living a life that isn't lip service, but that, that lives it out because to be saved is the most glorious thing anyone can experience. The angels in heaven are wondering, like, how is this even possible, right? How is it that those that are enemies of God would become friends? And how is it that a dead person comes alive and that, that they have a heart of stone and they get a heart of flesh? How is this even possible that they marvel? This is amazing, this faith that saves. This is incredible. This is incredible. Not just lip service, a lifestyle, a lifestyle. But this is what James is so concerned about. He says, church, every single day, you're interacting with needs around you, and you are walking by. You look at those in need, and instead of reaching out, you are standing in judgment, right? We've been there already. We, we looked at past scriptures that talk about uh, a poor and a rich man, right, walking into church, and, and the treatment, the partiality. He says, real faith, it, it lives out differently than that. So what is good about this type of faith he says there's nothing good in it it's dead it's dead well that's james james take on it well let's just touch on john's take and let's look at solomon just real quick if you want to write down these addresses first john 3 first john 3 16 through 18 i just i think this is so incredible for us to see all of scripture is is teaching this right by this we know love that he laid down his life for us who's that talking about Talking about Jesus, right? And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
But if anyone has the world's goods, see his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? What's the answer? It doesn't. It doesn't. That's the warning, right? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, not lip service, but in deed and in truth. John believed that real faith is going to be lived out, fleshed out. What does Solomon say in Proverbs? In Proverbs we see, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it's in your power, when you have the ability to do it, right? Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow and I'll give it when you already have it. I already got it. So how many times, okay, I'm not picking on, picking on any, I'm just picking on the church, okay, a little bit, because James is kind of picking on the church. He's going, how many times do we pray for the needs of others? And I wonder if, if we need to pray less in those moments and actually just reach into our pocket more. How many times do we say, man, I'll, I'll, I'll be praying for, for that huge need, that huge burden, when the answer to the prayer is already at your house. It's already in your bank account. It's already in your car. You can, you can provide it right then. It's like, man, I hope somebody comes along and provides for that. And God's like, you! I'm talking to, talking to you. You're the answer. You're the answer. And you're like, yeah, somebody eventually is going to come along. He's like, I sent you. Do you think it was a coincidence that you're crossing paths? No, it is not. No, it is not. Dead faith is a profession of faith that you do not practice because you do not possess. It's like a dad who says, I love my kids. Do you talk to them? No. Do you care for them and take care of their needs? Ah, no, not really. When they want to talk to you, do you, do, do you listen to them? No, I never listen to them. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. Where did we start? Dad, you love your kids, right? Of course. Talk is cheap, right? James is saying it doesn't matter how well you can convince others. It doesn't matter if you can say the right things. It doesn't matter. Even if for us to gather like this, we can do this every week. And if it's not alive and it doesn't take us into Monday and it doesn't see us through Thursday night and Saturday morning and we're watching God work in us and through us, he's saying it's dead. It's dead. This brand. This is a bad brand of faith. Could I, could I say this? God has something so much better. He has something so much better. He's not holding back. He's generous, and he's wanting to provide us with the real thing. But it gets worse. He's got a second brand that he goes for. It's not just dead faith where he's like, that's the counterfeit. That's not good. He says this, number two, if you're taking notes, demonic faith. Everybody say, ouch. We haven't even started yet. And they're like, we're, we're already, it's already going to be painful. Demonic faith. Is my faith merely mental? Is it merely mental? Demonic faith. That James goes here. Verse 18. Verse 18. Do you see it? Eyes in Scripture. But someone will say, okay, here's a hypothetical situation. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Pat your neighbor's back. Go ahead. Reach over and just pat him. You do well. Good job. Good job. Good job. You, you do well. That is, that's not a bad thing. That is a good thing. You should believe. You should believe in the one true God. You do well. But then he pauses. He's setting us up for a little bit of a backhanded compliment, right? 
even the demons believe. And they, they're fearful, they shudder, they shake even at the, the thought of King Jesus. Is it possible that we have the same type, the same category, the same brand of faith as demons? Well, he wouldn't bring up these two categories unless they're prominent among the church. Do you think it's better today? 2,000 years later, I think we could, we could see there's evidence of multiple types of faith. James is still concerned for us today. How applicable? What does he mean by this? He's talking about demons. If demons were to gather together and they were to start a publishing house and they were to write their own theological works and they were to put together Bible studies, they would have zero problem. How much problem? Uh, zero. Zero problem writing down and agreeing with precise, accurate theology. The angels know God. A third of the angels that were cast out of heaven were first in heaven, in God's presence, worshiping him before the rebellion, before Lucifer stood up and said, I will be like the Most High, before the mass exodus. Demons today have an accurate, perfect theology better than you. They know God better than you know God, in a sense. But it's all what? It's all in their head. They know the facts. What do they do with the facts that they know? They hate it. The one that this theology and this right doctrine leads them to a place of worship, adoration, in fact, leads them to a place of hatred and rejection. So you can know all of the facts. You can know all theology and still have a type of faith that is merely mental. Everybody say that's a problem. This is a serious issue. Do you believe that in our day that this might be prominent, that those that even were raised in church, that have Sunday school answers, right, that have Scripture memorized, that are even able to teach others that it is a level of faith that is mental and it's never reached the heart. It has not taken control of the life. It does not lead to submission. Sometimes the more familiar we are, right, the more dangerous it can get. I had a good friend that when we were in, in Bible college together, we're at a Christian university, he grew up in the church and he knew the scriptures and he went to camp and he even served in multiple different ministries and he gets to the second year of his undergrad and he's, he's doing biblical studies, theological studies, youth ministry, and gets radically saved. Not like I had a bunch of doubts, but he had no doubts for years and years and years and years. No doubts. Like, I made a profession when I was young, and like, like I fit in, and I agree with everything that's around me. And he realized, I have never truly been born again. My, my life is still mine. I'm still the boss. I'm still in control. I'm going through the motions, and I was, I was so shocked that one of my great friends that we knew each other for, at that time for over a year and a half, that he would say, John, guess what? I just became a Christian. Like, is this a joke? I knew the right answers, but it wasn't real. It wasn't real to me. Demonic, demonic type of faith. So where, where does this demonic faith fail? Here's, here's three, three places of failure, right? If you're taking notes, jot this down. This type of faith, this type of faith, it doesn't transform. I mean, because some people pass the test, right? What, what did demons say? Jesus is the Son of God, the Holy One. We see responses when Jesus is doing exorcism and casting out 
demons, I think many people would say, yes, I, I believe. I believe he is. Score 100% on the test, and yet life not transformed. Jesus rescued me, and nothing changed. This is the story of many. I'm a little bit more well-behaved, and I attend a weekly social club. That's what changed. The heart has not. And hear me, if your faith has not changed you, it hasn't saved you because the real thing changes lives, right? Faith in the one true God changes things. Can we clarify? Uh, transformation isn't radical. It's not immediate. We're talking sometimes snail pace of I'm changing. I'm convicted about things that I wasn't before. God is exposing things in my life that I made friends with that I actually should be putting to death. There are areas of my life that I don't have a problem with, but all of a sudden, slowly, I, I do, and it needs to go. And things that I justified and make excuses, it's like, I can't do that anymore. I can't keep living that way. I can't talk that way. I can't be thinking that way. I can't spend my money there and my time there. How, how long does that take? Turn to your neighbor and say, your whole life. Tell them. We're talking whole life transformation. We're talking long-term transformation, but transformation nonetheless. Number two, this faith, it doesn't love Jesus. Demonic faith knows about Jesus, knows facts that are accurate about Jesus, but demons can never say, you are the Son of God, we know who you are, and we love you, and will serve you. That type of faith, that there is a confidence in a God that they will not submit to and will not surrender to, will not listen, will not follow. That type of faith, it can't love Jesus, does not love Jesus. And what about a faith that's not even repentant? I don't know if these are in order. They're probably not in order, are they? This faith is not, it's not repentant. Demonic faith is rebellious faith. It's a faith that believes in facts, but will not turn away from the old and will not turn to him. So first we have dead faith. Everybody say dead faith. Second, we got demonic faith. Everybody say demonic faith. Here we go. We have, we have something else. Is your faith saving faith? Because you can't afford cheap faith. Lastly, dynamic faith. Dynamic faith. Is my faith actively evident? Is it actively evident? James says, repent of dead faith. Reject demonic faith. Dynamic, alive faith. A faith that cannot be hidden. Do you see verse 20? Everybody there? Verse 20. Do you want to be shown you foolish person. Everybody say, ouch. James has got some words, okay? So can we clarify, when we walk away today, we cannot say, man, preacher's harsh. Preacher's like, he's like scolding us. He's like calling us out. Um, not my words. Are, are, are you seeing it? Because if you don't see it in Scripture, you might be under the impression that like, I, I'm making stuff up, right? I'm the one that's sitting in my office thinking, how can I be like harsh and nasty and critical uh, this week, right? How can I bring the pain, drop the atomic elbow spiritually this week? Like, that's not happening. We just read the next verse. Do you want to be shown, you fool, you fool, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless, worthless? God's grace plus genuine faith equals salvation that is evidenced by works. God's grace and us choosing, right? Genuinely putting our faith in Christ, salvation, and it's salvation that is evidenced by works. 
But this is where, this is where James is going to get a little hairy. Okay, I told you it's controversial. We're about to go there. Case study number one, James takes us way back, way back. Everybody say way back. Yeah, all the way back. He's going to go back OT, and he's going to hit up Abraham. Abraham. He's like, let's take a look. Let's take a look. Case study number one. We're putting on display Abraham. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Ah, look, James, where, where are you going? Wasn't he justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith, that brand of faith, that type of faith was active. It was alive. It was dynamic. It was real along with his works. Okay, all right. I, he's walking, walking a tightrope here, right? This is a fine line. Faith was completed by his works. His faith that saved him was made obvious to all the package was complete when he actually lived out his faith by his works. Verse 23, Scripture was fulfilled in saying, Abraham believed God. He believed God, right? Everybody say faith. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness, his faith. But it was a certain type of faith. And to the point that we can even have this confidence. He was called a friend of God. I don't know the last time that you thought if I have faith, if I have real faith, that I, I, I don't just go to heaven, that I am a friend of God. God calls me friend. He brings us into the family. That's pretty powerful, right? As Jesus was walking with his disciples, I mean, talk about ragtag, stinking fishermen, right? Probably teenagers. Like, we're going to build this thing, right? We're going to, we're going to create this thing called the church, God says. And we're going to choose a bunch of stinking, probably cussing uh, fishermen, teenagers. Like, that's a great plan, right? And Jesus puts up with a lot of shenanigans. It's not like it's hidden. If you read the Gospels, right? There's a lot of stuff there that's pretty real and pretty raw. And one thing that the disciples are called, they're called friends. Friends of God. Everybody say, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Friends. Friends of God. And here, Abraham, he was the very first to be called friend. Friend of God. So why is Abraham a case study? Well, he's saying this, belief equals righteousness, but it's not cheap belief. It's not easy believism. It's not cheap faith. What kind of faith? It's faith that obeys. It's, it's faith that works. It's faith that does. Do you know that James didn't make this stuff up? He took it all the way to Abraham. So he's going, this isn't a, like a new teaching. This shouldn't be confusing. Like, we, y'all got the Bible, right? All you got to do is flip back to Genesis. From the beginning, when God called Abraham to be the father of faith, this goes all the way back. This has been this way since the very beginning. Real faith works. Real faith obeys. He's saying there's no such thing as a faith that is talk only, that's mental only. It's real. It's active. Verse 24, you see that a person, and this, this is where James gets, gets tricky again. You see, a person is justified, made right with God by works and not by faith alone. Everybody say, uh-oh. James, James, James. 
James, don't you know Paul? Remember Paul? Romans 3.28, one is justified by faith apart from, without the works of the law. I, I don't know about you, but we're reading through the scriptures and we're going, what? How? Is, it, is it both? How can it be both? How does this work together? The seeming contradictions. I told you, I told you, people get in trouble. They get in trouble, right? James is saying justified by works, really? You're made right by, by works? Again, he's proving the point. He's boldly calling out those that say that they're right with God and there's no evidence. He's saying it's not the real thing. He's willing to go all the way to say a statement like this to prove a point. Here's second case study. Everybody say number two. Come on, here we go. Rahab, Rahab. I don't know if y'all remember Rahab. We're talking Joshua, Jericho. Anybody remember that, that crazy cat going around, I mean, round and round and round seven times, right? Walls come crumbling down. Well, before that, so we got two good spies going in. Rahab, Rahab is the one that intersects with God's plan. Verse 25, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute? Everybody say, ooh, ooh, I know. She's one of those people. What does God think about her? Rahab the prostitute was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out the other way, right? She dropped them over the city wall. Anyone here had a few shameful moments if we were to project the highlight reel of your life? And for for some of us, as we think, man, Abraham, man of faith, it's not me. A, that hasn't been my story of I'm willing to like step out and just go. And I don't know where I'm going, but God said it, so I'm going to do it. Some of us, like, I don't get that. I have never lived in a way where I'm like, God, I'm not asking any questions. I'm just going to go and do it. I'm going to obey. For some of us, we got like, we can count on one hand the times where we actually just said, God, you said it, I'll do it. Because for some of us, our life is, well, I'm not sure about that, and, and i, I got to test it out. i got to learn the hard way, school of hard knocks. That's where I graduated from, and in my way, and, and God's got to bring me so low, and then finally, I'm willing to obey. I'm willing to trust. And isn't it beautiful? Isn't it a beautiful thing that God would allow us to have Abraham and Rahab back-to-back explaining what faith is like. Why would he do that? Because James really, really knew deep down that his church in Jerusalem, a church throughout history, is always going to be a church filled with people that are bold in their faith and that are going to march forward even if they don't see it and they don't have to know. They just go. And the church is also going to be filled with people that have a backstory that is utterly debilitating. And shame is a steady diet of the mind all week long. And the awesome part is that James says, when faith is alive, when it's real, it empowers people to do the impossible. When faith is alive, it even helps people that are living in sin 
to change radically and head in a totally different direction. To clarify Rahab, when it says Rahab was justified, made right with God by works, the point James is making is she actually believed God by faith. And the evidence that she experienced that faith, that she placed her faith in God, was that she did what God called her to do. She took the first steps. What's the temptation? When I clean up my life, when I get things right, when I get my life in order, when I get far enough down the road past all of the junk, all the skeletons in the closet are cleaned out, after I get a little bit, James is saying, Rahab still had the scent of a man that threw money at her and had sex with her. She stepped out of a prostitution bed and the next step she took was, God, I know you're real and I'm going to obey you. There's not a need for, I need to make up for or overcome. I need to get right. I need to clean up. Faith is active. The real thing, it's alive when we actually just take God at his word, no matter what our past is, no matter where we've been. Thank you, Rahab. Thank you. Rahab had nothing to show God. Nothing. Not, look what I did. Look what I did with my life. She didn't have time for any of that. Rahab the prostitute was justified by works when she received the messengers, sent them out, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead. Do you see it? Also faith apart from works is dead. It's not real. Christians are not perfect, but they're different. Christians are never going to be perfect, but they're changing. Real faith is active. Real faith is active. Can we pause here to go a little, a little deeper for just a second? Can we, can we handle it? We have a, a chart. Can we put that up on the, on the screen? Can I get two, two men? I don't, I don't know if anybody's feeling Paulish. Stephen, I know, I know you want to get up here. Come on, come on. If you want to stand up here, Mac, you look like a James to me. I don't, I don't know. As, as we consider the things that we read in the 13 letters that, that Paul writes, it looks like a direct contradiction to what James is saying in this, in this section. All the writings of Paul, he's pretty firm in justification by faith alone, grace alone. It has nothing to do with works. It's totally apart from works. Well, if we want to put up, why, why would that be different? If you're taking notes, just jot this down. The emphasis that Paul is making is a vertical one. You, you can do some motions of vertical. There you go, yeah. He's saying, how do you get right with God? Like, this is the relationship between God and us. We get right vertically, but what James is saying is not contradicting. He's saying that's true. And the way that we can see that vertical relationship actually play out is that there is a horizontal. Can you do some horizontal movements for me? Is he? Well, yeah. It's not, it's not just me and Jesus. It's Jesus and I, now that we have a relationship, I now have a different, I now have a relationship with others differently, right? We don't have just the contrast of vertical and horizontal. Another, another difference is that Paul is really, really concerned about how do you start that relationship with God? What is the beginning point? In a moment, you are made right with God by faith alone, grace alone, in a moment, in an instant, because it's vertical. We're talking about the beginning of your salvation. Philippians, which Paul writes, he even alludes to, the work that Jesus begins, he's going to do what? He's going to finish it. He's going to bring it to completion 
on the day of Jesus Christ. Well, James is really passionate, not about how you started the faith, but the fact that you are going to complete it and end it, right? Are you taking notes? You jotting that down? Beginning and end. We could see Paul and James as bookends of the faith. Who's the audience? Well, Paul, in his 13 letters, many of them, he's writing to those that are coming from pagan backgrounds, those that are rebels and fighting against God, and he is addressing that you can actually get right with God even if you have lived your whole life fighting and resisting. Well, that's different. James, being a pastor in Jerusalem, who is his audience? Right? He's at the epicenter of the faith of the Hebrew people, of the Israelites. Well, guess what? Jerusalem is filled with Jews. Are they rebels? No, most of them are actually devout, serious, sober, right? Like they're all a bunch of monks living out in Jerusalem. So what is he addressing? He's not uh, addressing the rebels. He's addressing the religious, those that are very familiar with the Old Testament. They know the law. They've worked hard to obey the law. His message is not in contradiction to Paul. It's actually to clarify to a group of people that need to hear it a certain way. Right? How about this? Here's the big fancy word, justifying faith. We've said this before. Just as if I never sinned, just as if I always obeyed. That's how God sees me the moment I place trust in him. Do a little dance again. Justified, right? Made right. I'm right with God in a moment. I'm justified. No more wrath. No more judgment. No more trying to appease. No more trying to keep the law. It's done. It's finished. Justified. Well, you know what James is pretty fired up about? He's saying it's great that we emphasize how we get right, but sanctification, big fancy word for becoming holy, becoming wholly different, changing to be more like Jesus, less like our old selves. James is pretty fired up because he's around religious people that are like, I'm already right with God. And then they don't change and they don't live differently and they judge others and they don't want others to come in. And he's like, if you're growing to be like Jesus, you're, you're going to have Jesus' heart. You are going to look and smell and sound just like Jesus. James is fired up about sanctification. Paul was fired up about justification. All right, give the men a hand, if you will. Thank you. As, as we consider the, the contrast, let's get this clear. Not contradictions, complementary messages about the one true gospel, the one faith, the authentic faith that saves and transforms. Paul and James, all right? Is that clear? Everybody say clear. Got it? All right. As we, as we land the plane, everybody say land the plane. That's how we reconcile Paul and James. How do you reconcile Paul's writings and James' writings? I mean, because they're so contradictory. Spurgeon said, you don't do peacemaking with friends. There's no need for reconciliation. It's the same message. Same message. Friends don't need reconciliation. Two sides, one coin. Verse 26. Everybody there? Everybody say, land the plane, land the plane. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Here's an equation. Faith minus works, that's false religion. Faith that has no evidence. James says it's not real. It's a false religion. Faith plus works false religion. If you remove evidence that faith is real, it's not real. If you add to faith, if you add to the gospel, 
It's not the real gospel. Take away or add, you end up at a dead end. God's grace plus genuine faith equals salvation evidenced by works. Maybe for some of us, we've grown up in church, we're familiar with the word. James would say, you're the target audience. You're tempted to think that you're okay because you've always believed. I've, just, I've always believed this. And the reality is, there has to be a moment where you believe for the first time, not I agree and I don't disagree. Because I'm not Muslim, I happen to be a Christian. Be, because I am not part of a cult, I happen to be a Christian. Because I didn't grow up in a different type of church and I grew up in one that believes the Bible, I guess I believe the Bible. James is talking to us, right, that are very familiar, that have fallen asleep to the power of the gospel and may not have real faith. For those of us that are coming from a background where a lot of this is brand new, this might not be a struggle as much because we, we knew the moment that we were born again, like, I'm different. I know that I am forgiven. I'm washed clean. I know I have a different mindset, different value system, different pursuits. And maybe James is not necessarily going after you hardcore. So make that distinction in your mind. If we walked into a doctor's office and you were in the waiting room and you watched the doctor jump between rooms and he went into one room and as he was walking out with his patient, he said, now listen, you got to get off your butt. Get some exercise, all right? You got to work out your legs. And this week, here's a regiment for you, okay? That's just the beginning of where we're going with you. And the guy's like, oh, okay, all right, yes, doc. And then he walks into another room, spends some time there. You're minding your own business, looking at a chick magazine or whatever, flipping through. And all of a sudden, the lady walks out of that doctor's, uh, out, of her, out of her room, and the doc says, I need you to rest, lay on your back, don't even think about walking to the bathroom. We're going to have to figure that thing out. But like, you're not getting up. What would you take away from that simple waiting room observation? You're going, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Why is he giving different diagnosis to, to people that need help? Is he confused? Is he a psychopath? Like, no, the deal is he's speaking to two very different people that need healing, that need help, but their ailments are very different. When you need to lose weight or you're going to have a heart attack or you just broke your leg, the doctor that is wise in diagnosing your problem and helping to correct it is going to provide you with two very different pathways to help and healing, correct? Paul and James are seeing the exact same problem, but they're seeing two categories of people struggling with very different things and he is providing, right? James is providing something that feels like it's overcompensating, but it's not a different gospel. It's not different faith. They're both talking about the real thing. Where in our lives do we need to grow in our confidence that we truly are born again? 